The following audio is from Citizens Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. If you're interested in getting involved with our family, visit citizenscharlotte.com connect. Our scripture reading for today is from John 15, verses 1 through 11. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is the word of the Lord. Hey guys, my name is Cole Simpson. If we haven't met, I'm on our lead team here at Citizens Church. Excited to get to be with you this morning as we finish up our Rhythms and Formation series. But before we talk about our Rhythms and Formation series and get to our last discipline today, I wanted to get to invite you guys into some of my thought process and prayer life around Citizens Church for the last year and as we look forward to the future. So almost exactly a year ago, a group of us got together, Tim and Lindsay Olson, me and my wife, Bethany Simpson, Cole Weiner and Garrison Weiner, and then Jacob Kirby to talk about our dreams for Citizens Church. So in that meeting, we planned kind of loosely what our calendar would look like. And in that meeting, we talked about this series, preaching through rhythms and formations. And we were all excited about it because we realized all of our dreams as good as they were. We were talking about gatherings on the east side of Charlotte, which we've been able to do. We were talking about community groups in Charlotte and people coming to know Jesus. All these things, as good as they were, wouldn't happen if we weren't regularly abiding in the presence of God. Because we know if we're not with God as a church, if we're not in sync with him, then all we're doing is dust. It's just a vapor. It's just a thing in the wind that won't have any lasting impact on the city of Charlotte or the kingdom of God. And so what we wanted to do with this series is to give a helpful framework for what it means for all of us to be connected to God and to be with Jesus, to structure our rhythms and routines in a way to help us have spiritual maturity as believers. So in this series, we've got to talk about things like feasting and fasting and Bible and prayer and silence and solitude. And it's been cool to watch people get to respond with those things and do some of these practices for the first time. And today, what we're going to do is try and bring all those together. And we're going to talk about something called a rule of life. And so a rule of life, how we defined it is organizing our rhythms and routines for spiritual formation and maturity to organize our rhythms and routines for spiritual formation and maturity. So this idea of rule of life comes from the term or the thought process of monastic rule or monastic way of living. And so the monastic rule or monastic way of living was 
uh, started by monks in the early centuries. And basically what they did was they thought through their whole schedule and intentionally asked the question, how can we orient our lives to make us look more like God and move towards him in our day-to-day interactions? And so what that looks like for us on a more uh, modern day, normal life level is how can we be intentional about our rhythms and life to move us towards God? But before we get into all those practicals, which I think will be really helpful for our church family, we're going to start in John 15, and I'm going to explain or help us see why this matters for us, why we should care about this idea of rule of life. So we're going to be starting in John 15, verses 1 through 11. So just some, just some context here. Jesus is talking to the 12, which is actually the 11, because Judas has walked away from the 12 disciples, and he is kind of giving them his last hurrah before he is eventually arrested. And so this stuff really matters. And so we want to key in on this, because if he felt like these guys needed to hear this, then all the more do we need to hear this. So let's start in verse one. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. So in verse one, Jesus makes a pretty big statement. He says, I am the true vine. So Jesus starts out by telling us that he is the vine. And actually what Jesus is doing is pretty easy for us to miss as 21st century Americans, but the Jews, his audience would have realized how big this statement he was making was. See, God used this picture of the vine in the Old Testament pretty regularly. And the way he used it, so God is the vine dresser, right? And he would take immense time and care to plant the vine, but over and over again, the vine or the people of Israel would fall and God would have to destroy the vine. So we see this in Isaiah 5. God calls Israel a vineyard he plants to bear the choicest fruit but it didn't, so he's gonna destroy it. We see it in Jeremiah 2.20. He says he planted them as the choicest vine, but they became corrupt. And we see it in Ezekiel 15. He calls Jerusalem a useless vine that should be thrown in the fire. So God, over and over again, would bring his people to judgment because no matter how much they tried, no matter how much they tried to be the manifestation of God's presence to follow his commandments, they failed over and over again. They were unable to be aligned with his will. They were fruitless. And so what Jesus is saying here is pretty important because what he's coming along and saying is, guys, I'm the vine. I am the vine. I'm the thing that you were supposed to be, but I am actually the true vine. So you don't have to worry about it anymore. I'm the one who can bring life. I'm the one who can follow the laws of God. I'm the one who can make you right with him. What Jesus is saying is, I am life. Jesus is life. In other words, Jesus is our connection to God. He is the vine. He is life in order for us to have life, we need to abide in him. We need to abide in the vine that is Jesus. So this word abide, when I say that, what I'm saying is, or the definition of that is positioning yourself to receive the grace of God daily and allowing him to guide you. So this idea of abiding in Jesus is this idea of regularly syncing up with God and allowing him to regularly remind you and show you his grace and lead and guide you in your everyday life. And so Jesus is gonna expound on what that looks like for us in the next few verses. So let's keep reading in verse two. 
Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. Like we said in verse one, Jesus is the vine and his father is the vine dresser. And he tells us who we are in this story. We are the branches. And so what Jesus is going to do is he's actually going to show us two different things with the same analogy. And so I want to just walk us through what Jesus is showing us in these analogies. So the first thing he is doing is he is warning us. He is warning us. Jesus is drawing a distinction between true disciples and false disciples. So he talks about the branches that abide in him, they will produce fruit. And he juxtaposes that with the branches that do not abide in him will wither and die. And so what he's trying to show us is you have to know me. You have to have a relationship with me to have life. What Jesus is pushing into is this idea that anything else apart from Jesus can lead to life, can lead to us having life everlasting in heaven. And this, this idea or this lie is pretty common for us in the South. We fall into this idea that behavior modification is life. So we believe that if we do the right things or if we follow the rules, then we get our share of heaven. And, and I want you to hear me. That is not the point of this series. Our goal is not for you to do more and to oh, now I'm doing the right thing, so now I've earned my place in heaven. Jesus is totally opposed with that. That's not what Christianity is. Christianity is you reconcile to God in a relationship which transforms you from the inside out. In order to have life, you have to abide in Jesus. There's no other way. You have to know him. You have to know Jesus. You have to have a relationship with him. And true disciples that know him they bear fruit. And so Jesus is showing us that life cannot be found apart from Jesus. So he is warning us that nothing else is going to work. Nothing else is going to be able to satisfy our need for a savior. It's only him. So the first thing he's doing is warning us. The second thing he's doing is preparing us. He's preparing us. So like I said earlier, Jesus is talking to his 12. He's talking to the guys that he is the closest with. These guys have been with him for three years. They've seen everything he's ever done, right? They've listened to every sermon he's ever preached. They've seen him perform miracles and raise people from the dead. They've seen all these incredible things. And what Jesus is doing is he's giving them a last hurrah or a, a kind of like a, a go get him speech before he leaves because he's about to leave. In John 18, he's going to get arrested. He's going to get crucified and raised from the dead. And then he's going to ascend to heaven. And so what he's telling these guys is you have got to abide in me. He's making a distinction between fruitless disciples versus fruitless disciples. So you see, what Jesus is doing is 
if you don't know me, if you're not abiding in me, you won't produce fruit. And this is, this is an important distinction. This is not like before. Both the fruitless and the fruitful disciple know Jesus. But one of them is an active agent in what God is doing to expand his kingdom. They are regularly connecting with God. The other knows God. They have a relationship with him, but they're not actively connecting to God. Their life doesn't orient around God. And so what Jesus is saying both to us and to his disciples, I'm not going to be there, guys. I'm not going to be there to be able to rebuke you or to tell you or be there in the flesh. So you have got to find rhythms to stay connected to me. You've got to learn how to orient your life around me so that I can help you produce fruit, so I can help shape and change you into the person that you are meant to be as a believer in Jesus. And so what Jesus is going to do in these next verses, he's going to explain if we are abiding in him, what it looks like for us. So let's keep reading in verse seven. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. So what Jesus is doing in these verses is he's pointing out markers of true disciples. He's pointing out markers of fruitful disciples. Disciples. So in verse seven, he tells us that if we're abiding in God, then our desires will match God's desires, right? Over time, Jesus will change our hearts to want the things of God. He shows us in verse eight that if we're abiding in God, we're going to produce much fruit. And that's just simply saying that we're going to be a part of what God is doing in his kingdom, that we are going to be an active part of the body. You are uniquely wired and gifted, and the body of Christ is less without you if you are not actively abiding in Jesus and participating in it. And so what Jesus is saying here is, stay abiding in me. Connect with me because I need you. I need you to be with me so that we can produce fruit together. And then in verse 10, he says, true disciples follow his commandments. They obey him. And honestly, this one is the hardest for me. The second that I say, if you are a true disciple in Jesus, you need to obey his commandments. I just want to add a caveat so quickly. I want to say so fast, hey, you don't have to be perfect. You can't be perfect. You will fall short. And that's true, right? Like we see this in this passage, John 15, one, when Jesus says, I am the true vine, he is saying, you can never do enough. Apart from me, you will never be able to reconcile yourself with me. You will always fall short. We see that consistently throughout the Bible. So Romans 3.23 says, we have fallen short. You're never going to be able to earn salvation. And in his love and kindness, Jesus has provided a way for you to know God, for you to have a relationship with him. And if you're in Christ, if you are a part of God's family, then you've been given the Holy Spirit, which means you now have the ability to follow his commandments. So this isn't a contradiction when Jesus says, hey, abide in me, it's not about you, and 
hey, if you abide in me, you will follow my commandments. We even see this in this passage. In verse 3, it says, already you are clean. And then in verse 10, it says, and if you abide in me, you will keep my commandments. You see, the gospel is opposed to earning, not effort. The gospel is opposed to earning, not effort. And I'm going to be honest here. Some of us just need to repent. We've allowed our apathy to justify the license of our sin. And we are missing out on the fullness of life that is only found in Jesus and only found in abiding in him. That's a bad trade. These disciplines that we're talking about in these series might be difficult. They may be unnatural for us. And I can't point to a single mature believer who doesn't have these spiritual disciplines or a version of some of these spiritual disciplines in their life. In their life. We need to have these spiritual disciplines in our life. We need to be abiding in Jesus so that we can be a part of what he is doing, so that we can have fullness of life. Already you are clean and keep his commandments. Both are true. Both matter. And finally, Jesus kind of tells us the why, why we should care about this in verse 11. So verse 11, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So God gives us these commandments. God gives us these spiritual practices, not in order to burden us. He doesn't want us to miss out on the good life. He's not trying to take away from us. In fact, what he's doing is he's saying, this is where fullness of life is found here. This is how you can be in right relationship with me and be able to fully enjoy and abide in me in this life. God has given us the way to do this. And with that as a foundation, when we understand that it's not about us, we are already clean and we are commanded to keep his commandments. And that's how we abide with that as our foundation. We can talk about a really helpful way that we as believers organize our lives, which is rule of life. So I know I talked about this earlier, but rule of life is the intentional organization of our rhythms and routines for spiritual formation and maturity. So like we talked about in John 15, one, Jesus is the vine. He is where life is found. And if you've ever seen vines grow on buildings or uh, in gardens, they always are paired, or they, at least in my experience, they always seem to be paired with this wooden or metallic structure that gives the vine structure in order to grow. It gives it a direction to be able to grow and to be able to flourish. And that structure is called a trellis. And so Jesus is the vine, Jesus where life is found and rule of life is the trellis. It is the structure that we use in our lives to allow Jesus to take hold of our lives. Rule of life is important because the things you do, do things to you. What I mean when I say that is the mundane parts of your life, the things that you don't think matters, like watching Netflix before you go to bed or your commute to and from work. Those things that you aren't thinking about shape you on a deep spiritual level. Our everyday rhythms and routines are shaping us into the people we are. 
And as believers, we want to intentionally create a rule of life. We want to intentionally be careful about what we are doing and make sure that it is actually pushing us towards Jesus and making us look more like him. The things you do, do things to you. I think this will make a lot more sense if I walk through just my specific rule of life and just give you some flesh to go on the bone as I organize my life as a way I show you how I try to organize my life as a way to draw near to Jesus. So here's my rule of life. So I'm going to start with day and then kind of move out to week and then year. So every, a general day for me looks like I want to spend time with Jesus in the morning, in the afternoon and in the evening. So in the morning, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to read some of the Bible and I'm going to journal about that. And I'm going to allow that gonna, to give me a lens for how I think about my day. At lunch, I use this book called Liturgy of the Hours. So it, it's just a, a book that has already five or six passages and things for me to do every day. I, I don't do all those. That's a lot. For me, I just do one. And usually sometime between 12 and 2, I try to sit down for 15 minutes and just read some of that and think about whatever that thing is for that day. And then at the evening, I do an examine, which is a type of prayer where I sit down and just kind of review my day. I, I tell God what I'm grateful for. I think about how I moved towards God and how I moved away from God. And I pray for the people in my life. Uh, every day, I'm going to be praying for the members of Citizens Church. So this is a commitment I made when I joined our lead team, because I want to be thinking about and praying for the people that I am responsible in some ways for leading in this season of my life. I'm going to make a phone call every day. I'm going to talk about how I'm feeling. I'm going to try and get a book for at least 30 minutes a day. It's good for my mind. It's good for me to zoom out and think about something that's not just in my line of sight. And then every night, my wife and I are going to pray together. We're going to be talking about how we're feeling. We're going to talk about what time would Jesus look like that day. And then we're going to go to bed. So that's what it looks like on a daily scale. If I zoom out to a weekly scale, um, every week I'm going to go to community group. I'm going to spend some time talking to the people uh, of Citizens Church, the people that are in my group about the sermon and how it impacted me. I'm going to talk about my sin. I'm going to confess and repent with them. And then I'm going to talk about who are we building with? Who are we inviting into what we're doing here? Who are we talking to about Jesus? We're going to do some form of gathering. So right now this looks like on Sunday mornings, people come to my house. We watch the gathering together. Uh, Stephen usually makes us breakfast. It's very, very good. And it's just a fun thing to do that helps orient me around God. Um, I try to fast for a day, day and a half every week. Usually this is Thursday or Friday. Um, I'm just trying to see how God is pushing me. He's pushing into my self-control with that, my need for him. Uh, Bethany and I are going to try and have dinner with someone who we try to invite uh, around, usually someone that isn't involved in citizens in some way. I'm going to Sabbath every week. I'm going to take some time to remember uh, that God is in control and that I'm not. Uh, every week, me and Bethany are going to have some form of date or some form of intentional time just to talk about how we're doing on a deeper level. Uh, It's just easy for me, honestly, to not think about for us to be roommates, but not be married. And so I want to take some time to talk about her heart and to talk about my heart, see how that is going. Uh, We're going to talk about sex. Sex is going to be a regular part of our rhythm. Um, 
life is busy. And so we want to make sure that we prioritize that in our marriage. We want to make sure we prioritize intimacy, both physically, but also emotionally and spiritually together. And then from a month standpoint, uh, I have four or five guys that I'm trying to talk to at least once a month. I want them to know what's going on with me. I want them to be able to push into me. I'm going to ask them questions about, hey, am I off here? What's, what's up with this? And then finally, on a year level, uh, once a year, we, I kind of want to get away with me and Bethany. Sometimes this literally looks like in the past we didn't get away. We just stayed at our house. We did kind of a staycation. Uh, but just a helpful time to be able to stop and think about the year and be able to talk about that and then think about the year upcoming. And then uh, irregularly, a few times a year, I'm going to try and have some feasts. I'm going to thank God for good fruit, good food and good friends and enjoy that with them and with my family, with one another. So that's what my year of life looks like. Year rule of life looks like. Um, Every day doesn't look like that. Every week doesn't look like that. Every year doesn't look exactly like that. I've got good weeks. I've got bad days, all of that thrown in. But this ideal gives me a structure. It gives me a trellis to be able to aim for and help me think about how is my life moving Godward? How are the everyday things that I'm doing helping position me to look more like Jesus? My goal in this is not to give you 30 things to do. Actually, what I want us to do as believers is I want us to step back and look at our day and look at our week and look at our month and our year and say, what are the things I'm already doing? How can I change those things to make me look more like God? And yeah, maybe there are a few things I do need to add intentionally, but mostly what I want us to think about is how am I intentionally moving towards God? Uh, We were talking about this sermon and teaching team and one of uh, the women that does it with us made the statement I thought was really helpful. She said, make sure you talk about how rule of life is supposed to be Godward. Because if you don't, then it's just New Year's resolutions. And our goal is not for these to be New Year's resolutions. Our goal is to be a people that is intentionally moving towards God, intentionally looking at the structures of our lives and asking what type of person does this make me in five years? Does it make me someone who looks more like God or less like God? Like I said in the beginning, wanted to invite you guys in to my prayer life for this sermon and this series. My prayer for this sermon and for this series for our church is that it would be foundational for us. Uh, I hope that we look back in three and five years and realize that this help shape our people and help them become the people that they became because we started taking seriously what it looked like to abide in Jesus, that we cared about stirring our affections for Jesus. We cared about the things of God because in order for our church to be about the beautiful things that Jesus is about, we have to abide in him. In order for us to see sinners meet Jesus, in order for us to baptize people, in order for us to send out church plants or to send out missionaries, in order for us to love the marginalized, in order for us to tangibly meet the needs of our city, in order for us to watch Jesus walk into situation and heal people, to cure addictions and diseases, in order for these things to happen, 
We have got to abide in him. We need our lives to be oriented on him. We need to rely on him. Our lives, even the mundane, ordinary parts of them, need to be Godward. We need to think about how am I loving more God more with my schedule? How am I thinking about him in my day-to-day life? Let's pray. Hey, God, thanks that you love us, that we have already been forgiven in you, that we have been invited into your family, that it is not about our performance. And thank you so much that you love us too much to leave us where we're at, that you have given us helpful tools like spiritual disciplines to help mold us and shape us to look more like you and to love you more, that abiding in you is where true life is found, that you love us and want good for us, both individually and as a church. Yeah, I I pray that you use this series to continue to shape us and change us to look more like you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.